Live from the Mall of Asia, this is the Lifestyle Business Podcast. We do not disappoint, my friend. We are in the Mall of Asia, underneath a set of steps, sipping on Starbucks. Mm. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now, in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, this is the LBP. It's your Thursday morning. It's our Sunday evening or Monday evening. I've got all kinds of time warp going on. Huge week ahead of us, so we're getting ahead of the game here before we catch a flight to the BKK. I am joined, as is per the usual, the standard, the SOP, if you will, the man who puts the sake into Kawasaki. How you doing, sir? Good. Hey, sorry, brother. I just want to apologize in advance. Don't you hate that when people say sorry in advance? Yeah. But I really mean this. Sorry hey, in advance. You say hi to so-and-so for me. <laughs> Thanks in advance. I... Uh, Today's your birthday, so we were over celebrating in the great American TGI Fridays. Yeah. And uh, I ate some onion soup, so here we are sitting right next to each other in the mic. Sorry about that. That's cool, man. Thanks, thanks for the birthday wishes. Today, we are going to talk about five deadly entrepreneurial blind spots and how you can adjust your rear view. I think they call that the cut. Isn't that laying back? What you... Or is that just the Cutlass Supreme? I don't know. No, no, laying back in the cut, I think you're right. I think that does have to do with Cutlass Supreme. But <laughs> I'll tell you that you want to know the origin of why guys used to lean their seats back. At least this is what I heard in the ghetto. <laughs> they used to lean their seats back. And where this came into fashion was because if you lean your seat back, your head is behind the pillar. And therefore, when you do drive-bys and things like that, you're less likely to get shot at because your head's not in the window. It's on the pillar. Who well, said so we don't share useful information on yeah. this podcast? <laughs> the gangstest podcast in all the land. All right. If you're having trouble getting your business off the ground, nine out of 10 times, that problem is probably between your own two ears. Unfortunately, it's probably not the world conspiring against you. It's probably not luck. It's probably something that you can address. And the good news about blind spots is we're not talking about intelligence or smarts here or an ability to whip up a web application in 24 hours. Right. We are talking about just sort of broadening your perspective and taking a look at some things that you might not be noticing. I think, how many uh, entrepreneurs would you suspect came to the Tropical MBA so far? About 40 or so? 40, yeah. We're just uh, getting off the third Tropical MBA. Left them about 20 minutes ago. It's been hands-on, and I feel like I've learned so much about the process of what resonates with people who are just getting started out especially. Sometimes I forget. We've made some mistakes as well, trying to coach some new people, but we've seen these five things, and that's why we're gonna we're going to share them here today. Let's get to them. All right, so number one is you're being a wimp, straight up. Me? Not you, but sometimes. I mean, I really think this is a big issue. Just people, they have no sense of urgency. It's like, hey, I'm, do I have to do the Robin Williams carpe diem speech here, people? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's now or never. Like, this, this, nobody's gonna do this stuff for you, right? Right. And, and one of the big things that we talk about a lot, Ian, is sacrifice. I mean, you can't do everything that you're doing right now and start a business too. It's not like you have this delicious cake and it's just, oh, it's icing on top. I'm gonna have a business on top of my already everything that I'm doing. Yeah, it might take you five years. This is where Cake and Eat It 2 comes from, by the way. Right, yeah. where does that come from? In the ghetto, where they, 
cake and get two in the ghetto. Yeah, I think you're totally right about being wimpy. You know, another thing that I think with comes with uh, being wimpy is uh, being willing to take uh, a step backwards in your lifestyle or the way you approach things, and, and that's to be able to take two steps forward. So, right, this is this is one of my favorite points you made at Tropical MBA. It's, yeah. it's not just a Paula Abdul song anymore. <laughs> you got to take one step back. Take t- well, tell us about some of the steps back that you made. It's tough. Yeah, I think it's you definitely tough. Staying up there on the screen. Yeah. Tell, tell the story about the Mustang. Okay. So uh, we had a slide at the Tropical MBA, and we're actually talking specifically about finances and what it means to start a business, and uh, you know what that means in terms of your wallet and the kind of sacrifices that you have to make. And so I had a slide up on the uh, TMBA. On the left-hand side was my Mustang GT mint condition. That's a redneck car, son. Yeah, that was buddy. hot. Yeah. So I had that car. Where's the then... redneck ghetto? <laughs> yeah, it's totally redneck. <laughs> So, but I bought that car and I financed that car, uh, which is unbelievable. Uh, so I financed that car when I had a job. I was making payments on and it. And you put Flowmasters on it. You encouraged me to put the Flowmasters <laughs> on it. It sounded mean though, man. <laughs> yes, it had Flowmasters on it. Anyways, I had the car. Um, I was financing it at the time. I had a job. And, you know, that's what most people in a job do is they buy things that they can't afford. I see people all the time driving $40,000 cars, making $65,000 a year. It makes no sense. And so on the other side of the slide was the car that I had when I became an entrepreneur. And that was my 1990 CRX that I bought for $1,900. That's when you started getting all those girlfriends. Exactly. And so the point here is I really had to take a step back in terms of my lifestyle. And, you know, for me, it's cars. For other people, it's trips to the malls or trips to Vegas or whatever it might be for you. Well, how about all those friends calling you up saying, come to this baby shower, buy this gift, go to this wedding, fly to Tahoe for this weekend, all that kind of stuff. You just absolutely cannot sustain that kind of thing. And I, I don't think, when we talk, call this a blind spot, right? I don't think that people properly understand the kinds of sacrifices that are going to be required. So if you need a stiff talking to, maybe you could send your personal expenses over to Ian. That's Ian at lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. And man, he's a ninja. I mean, you do, did some amazing work. Yeah, him. this week uh, we had a TMBA and uh, she was living in Washington, D.C. And I think her monthly overhead was something like $3,000. No big deal, making six figures. But she's going to step into entrepreneurship and you got to dial it back a notch. So we came up with a plan for her to make, um, you know, considerably less, but be able to travel and cut her expenses in, into, I think, basically like a third. All right. So... What's the way to solve this one? Shine a light on it. You got to take a step back and really quantify what it's going to take to get your business off the ground. Don't be wimpy. Don't be wimpy. All right. Number two, you're primarily focused on solving your problems, not anybody else's. Business is about being a servant. We talk about that a lot on this program, but some of the red flags I hear, how many times have you heard somebody say, yeah, you know, I'd really like to do X, I, 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 want, want, want. But in the short term, I need to generate some cash flow. So I'm just going to do this little thing, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. And it's like, man, the the customer has not even gotten to the table in the first 30 minutes of the talk. I hear this a lot, which is uh, I became an entrepreneur. I started this business because I was scratching my own itch. So how how is that different than uh, solving your own problem? The the issue is, is like if your itch is shared by others. It's like, you know, you installed Flowmasters on your Mustang, and you know that that was painful because you didn't have the right bracket. And that's something that you understood deeply. You could have empathy with your target market about, and then you could go crush it in that market space. I'll tell you what your target market, like there's nobody else on the planet who cares about your rent bill. Right. There's nobody else on the planet who cares about your stupid cat. Right. Right. And it's like, it's these kinds of concerns. I want to spend more time, you know, at home 
and not in an office, well, I got news for you, nobody else cares. <laughs> right. And so if that's the way you're framing up like your journey into business, that's like sort of a, the next level concern. Yeah, and there's another dangerous thing that comes with uh, solving your own problems, and I think that's like creating problems. So nine times out of 10, I, I see uh, new products that come to uh, you know young entrepreneurs' heads, uh, and they're not solutions that exist already, and I think that's a big red flag. Uh, if your solution doesn't exist already, that probably means that there's not a marketplace for it, and therefore you're in an endangered space of not having any customers. So how do you solve this? Talk to customers. Stop sitting around and dreaming about precisely what it is that you want to do with your life. If you're in that headspace, you're not in your customer space, you're putting the wrong foot in front of the other. All right, I'm getting phone calls. That's Jeez. cool. Might be somebody important. Number three, what's the blind spot here? You have no attention or patience for the details. Interesting point. I think uh, you and I both, when we had uh, jobs, I'd, I'd say that both of us were like attention to detail guys. I mean, I know myself specifically, like we would comb through emails. We've talked about this a hundred times. We would comb through emails uh, over and over. I would comb through product details over and over, making sure every nut and bolt is perfect on our products that we're designing. I think entrepreneurship really, you have to, you have to take like a, um, a meta approach, but then you also have to take a micro approach. A couple of things here. Tim Connolly was talking about how these guys are making $100 million a year they like universally had this insane attention to detail. We've all heard the stories of Richard Branson walking around Virgin Airline planes with his little notebook, looking at the cutlery and stuff like that. So that's one element to it. There's sort of this anecdotal evidence of super hyper successful people being buried in the details. But there's also a lot of new entrepreneurs, they're so caught up in the idea of what they do, they wanna stay focused there, and it's very difficult for them to ratchet down into anything specific. Why? It feels boring, it feels, it can be humiliating work. Your parents are like, hey, what did you do last week? And you're like, well, I wrote a sales letter. And they're like, right. what's that? And it's like, well, it's a thousand words that tries to get someone to do something. Well, does the product exist? No, not, not, not yet. Well, did you do anything else last week? No, I, I, I just wrote the sales letter. Right. And that's, I mean, you go from having a legitimate job and respect in your social circles to, I wrote a sales letter all last week. Basically mopping the floor. Mopping the floors, man. So how do we solve this blind spot? Mark Cuban, my boy. We're heading to Mark Cuban's way, man. I, I want to be like that guy. Mr. Maps. He's a billionaire. He writes a blog. That was always my argument when Ian was like, why are you doing all this blogging? I'm like, Mark Cuban Mark blogs. Mark Cuban, man. <laughs> Mark Cuban has this quote where he says, and this is why he's a great blogger. He said, follow your effort, not your passion. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. You know, I want, I want, I want. But mind yourself and ask yourself, where are you really putting the effort in? Because I think attention to detail is a symptom of effort. So if you can find the place where you're really willing to put that attention to detail in, maybe that's where your effort, your inspiration, maybe that's the fuel you need to be tapping into to go forward. Interesting. Oh yeah. All right, what's number four? You're in a bad partnership. You've got some relationship issues. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of this, man. Okay, there's a bunch of things. You could be in a minority position in a small business. Right. Because everybody is reading TechCrunch like, oh, we sent 30% equity over to this person and that person called me on the phone so I gave them a 2% equity and right. I called this person for an angel investor. It's like that stuff does not happen in small businesses. But for some reason we're getting this idea. Like, oh, I, I'm on the board of directors at some lifestyle business that I'm getting, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> what's going on with that? So here's the, here's the issue. I think you gotta be honest with yourself. Are you using the relationships in your life because you partnered up with your best friend 
or the person who's convenient or the first person who wrote you an email or you're in that minority equity partnership uh, thingamajig. And the reason you're doing that is because you're seeking permission. Right. You're not willing to be the leader and say, this is the way this is going to go. You know, I was talking to a guy at the TNBA the other day and he was telling me that uh, he needed to talk to some guy on the phone before he could decide whether his business idea was a good idea or not. Uh-uh. Exactly. I mean, it's like, but we all do this. I'm not singling anybody out here, but this sure. is, it's this idea that you don't need people's permission to move forward with your business. That's, that's the entrepreneur's role. Right. And I think it's us seeking those old style relationships maybe when we were an employee and we were always just, you know, hanging out, waiting for someone to tell us to mop the floors. Yeah, absolutely. For me, this has to do with vision too. I think a lot of people get into sticky situations with partners, uh, especially in the beginning, if they don't have a good vision for what they want to accomplish. So I think when we first started our business, we had a really clear idea of the kind of business that we wanted to run, at least initially. And uh, everything kind of fell into, into place after that. So it was like, okay, we got to get the right people in place. we got to get the right money in place, resources in place to make that vision happen. And That's so it wasn't point. like, let's get all these partners together and figure out something to do. It was, let's execute on this vision, figure out the steps that we need to build in order to get to the top of that pyramid. That's a good point. And we've, we were talking a little bit about this with, uh, earlier with, with uh, Alyssa, is that you know we've gotten plenty of job applications in the past where we read the job application we're like, why the hell is this person applying for a job with us? And, and I think the idea is that people re- really want that vision. I mean, that's that's why what entrepreneurs do is so valuable is these people have all the right skill sets, they have all the resources, maybe even the connections in place, but they're still looking to join up with something. Right. And I mean, that's the heart to heart you have to have yourself. That's fine. But joining up is not the entrepreneurial way, oh, young, aspiring entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, that. Right. <laughs> it's, it's you have to you have to cop to the vision, and so I think the way to solve this one is ask yourself if you're leaning on those close relationships as a permission-seeking thing in your life. Yeah, but this is somewhat related. Let's talk a little bit about vision. This is our fifth one. We're going to talk about product market fit because this is the idea of having the idea, right? Right. And and here's the thing: when a lot of people are working at business, maybe they are trying to get gigs, maybe they've got a little product out the door or something. And it's just not going quite the way they had hoped, or it's not making it happen. A lot of times, people will start to blame themselves. Sure. Right? Because we're pretty focused on looking Us. at ourselves. So what what we want to encourage you to do is look out there and, and and look at the marketplace and ask yourself if it could be a momentum issue in the in the marketplace. It could be that you don't have the right product market fit. Right. Because what a lot of people say is, hey, if I just get it into Petco. This is all going to work out. Okay. If I just get into, uh, if if uh, Paris Hilton uh, puts her cat, we said all this we crap, didn't we? Stuff. Jesus. Yeah. And if, and then here's a better one. Like, what if what if Oprah puts my cat? Like, Oprah somehow is for any entrepreneur is involved in all industries. Yeah, exactly. If Oprah takes my supplement on her show, <laughs> like people will buy this stuff, you right. know. And here's the thing about Petco, about Oprah, about Paris Hilton. They're the people that mention it the 10,000th time. Like, if there hasn't been, not, you know, right. 9,999 people before them, they're not saying it. Yeah, if Oprah isn't qualified, you know, like, she's definitely qualifying your product. There's no way you just came out with a product last week and she's talking about it. That's I'm exactly sorry, right. I don't care how good it is. That's exactly right. So, you know, it's this idea that if, if you can't get the first 50 people to talk about it, Paris Hilton isn't going to talk about exactly. it. Exactly. So, so, so this is, again... Don't blame, if you're not having momentum, the idea is to get away from that product and to seek new fits. 
And what too, we're seeing too many people do is continue to go down the same road because whatever reason, they've got that mental pathway in their head where they're convinced this has got to happen, this is going to work. And everybody's just standing there shrugging their shoulders like, hey, I'll give you a great you example. Can't convince me to buy this thing, the person standing right next to you, all of a sudden is Oprah going to put this stuff on her show? Exactly. Uh, you know, for us, this has happened quite recently, and I think this is part of this, the process for a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, we put out a portable bar um, that we thought was going to meet the market needs. And, you know, we talked to a couple people before we designed it, but we, for the most part, just jumped into the market. So we put out this bar, and it was a conversation piece. It started conversations with people, and we were able to sell a couple of them, but then we pivoted because it wasn't exactly what the market was looking for. So, you know, that's part of being an entrepreneur, right? In this, in this product market fit thing is like not being so attached to your products too, right? So you have an idea, it's decent enough to get into market to sell some, then pivot on that product, come out with the product that people really want. And the only way that you're gonna do that is you're gonna talk to your market and your customers and figure out what that is. And so now we've got a much better product than we ever could have come out with on our own, not talking to half as many people as we have now. Right now, so the solution there is look at what's already working and improve it. And the only way you can know that by getting in the game. So we got a lot of tips on this episode of the LBP, but I think the main lesson here is roll that seat back and you're gonna have a broader view of your rear view <laughs> in the mirror. Maybe that's why they maybe that's why they pushed it back. I'm not sure. By the way, <laughs> speaking of uh, blind spots, you turned me on to these like little uh, these little circles that you put on your mirrors. You're always rocking these on your cars. You know what I'm talking about? The yeah, little buddy. blind spot mirrors. I love those things. And now they have them integrated into the new cars. Yeah. But as like a car guy, I, I was always like resistant because they looked a little dorky. But then I tried one on one time and I was like, wow, you can really see a lot back you here. You can see a lot and you don't have to turn your head. You don't have to compromise your safety to understand what's happening in your blind spot. In fact, you know what? This is comparable to my glide floss tip. This is a fantastic tip. So if you're rocking an entrepreneur mobile, by which I mean you do not have a loan on this car, if you're having a, a difficult time getting a date and you don't have a loan on your car, you have an entrepreneur mobile. <laughs> and that means you don't have one of these fancy integrated mirrors. Right, right. right. So what you need to go, <laughs> you need to go to Pep Boys like tomorrow. <laughs> I'm serious. And get those little mirrors with the double stick tape. I don't prefer the round ones now. This is oh, a quick the square tip. ones. I like the triangular looking ones. You know what I'm talking about? These things, once you put them on, you can be eyes forward 100% of the time, which is also a metaphor for a good entrepreneur. Do you advise if your car is not paid off that you go ahead and invest in these mirrors? I mean, this episode is over. <laughs> Let's get moving on to just the tips. Joseph Hughes, who I have met in New York City and who is a fine young man and, and really doing well with his, his new startup, last I checked. Joe, give us the status, man. What's going on with that? Send us a link, awardwallet.com. I highlight it here. We have not used it, but it's a rewards tracking software. I want to hear more tips like this because Ian and I are getting more interested in tracking this stuff. I mean, yeah. we're seeing a lot of benefit from tracking our uh, credit card spending or charge yeah. card. Yeah, and there's a lot of other services that are coming out that are doing similar things, uh, like Merge Pay, bringing all of your uh, subscriptions to one place. That's Ian Borders' uh, product. So I'm really excited about these types of products because it's so hard to keep track of this stuff. I got spreadsheets for days. Speaking of payments, I uh, heard a really cool and clever little quick tip, which was like sort of an entrepreneurial wake-up call on uh, James Shramko's and Tim Reed's uh, unwanted domain names uh, episode of Freedom Ocean, right? And uh, you know how in the podcast thing, when you don't listen to a podcast, there's a little blue, blue nut, little yeah. blue ball next to it? Well, I didn't listen to this podcast for like a couple weeks because I was like, 
The last thing I want to do is listen to a podcast about unwanted domain names. Right. You know it's what I mean? It's a boulevard of broken dreams. Right. I don't want to walk down that street. And uh, I listened to this episode and I was like pleasantly surprised. It was really entertaining. And one of the things that James said was really simple is he said, hey, if you have an important transaction, don't do it through PayPal because that's not your money. Hmm. People can just take your money back. No questions. And it's like we know that if you if you work with PayPal regularly, yeah. but maybe some of the listeners don't know. That's part of the reason PayPal you know, works so well is that you know, they protect consumers from fraud, especially on the early days in eBay. So if they buy something from you, say you sell them a website for $3,000, I send you $3,000 via PayPal, Right. I can just take that stuff back. I that's mean, right. That's it. I can, yeah. It's not like a credit card at all. No. And, uh, you know, I learned this lesson too because uh, I was sending, at one time I was sending, somebody asked me, hey, send it uh, private funds via gift. That way I don't have to pay the PayPal percentage on it but then you're really screwed if you send it to somebody for a service and they don't deliver yeah so highly uh recommend not using paypal for these kinds of transactions excellent all right speaking of transactions we got to get in a taxi to the airport and off to bkk i'm actually meeting up with hot money magnati tonight for a little nightcap on the b-day and you guys are gonna get down to work i'm assuming yeah buddy we're headed to uh a loft where we'll be staying this week, getting ready for the DC conference. It's Pimp. Speaking of Pimp, it's Lost and Found by Phoenix. Yet another hipster band from my fine co-host. Man, I think the writing's on the wall. I think it's over for you. Oh, boy. All right. Thanks for joining us on the LBP. We'll see you guys next Thursday morning. Booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do. You don't know what you're doing. No, no, tell this joke. <laughs> this is funny. That I'll tell that joke. <laughs> What's the joke?